name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. For those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm Joanne Martin, and I joined the church staff last month, so Thursday will be two months exactly. So it is a delight this morning to be able to not only be with you, but to preach. So thank you, Daniel. I know that we are all post-Turkey this week. A lot of us are post-family dynamics. Um, some of you are post-shopping. I was not that brave. And many of us are post-that game yesterday. So I'm just going to lay it out straight. I know we're tired and a little bit full. And what I want to talk about this morning is that Jesus is coming back. This, everything we're going to do today is about that. You've heard that in the songs. You've heard that in the readings. And that's what we're going to unpack here. The return of Christ is one of our greatest joys in our faith and one of our most anticipated events. But I want to come at that by way of story and really a part of my own story. I was a very big summer camp kid. I spent most of my summers in summer camp somewhere, but I did a part of my growing up in Tallahassee, Florida. And while I was there, I went every summer to Swan Link Swan Lake Camp. And it did have a lake. There, there were not swans, probably because there were campers. But we would go swimming, and we would go canoeing, and we would um, hike. And really, I mean, that was one of my favorite memories every summer. One, one year, when I was about 10 or 11, I had a camp counselor who I really adored. To my mind, she was sophisticated. She was cosmopolitan. She was beautiful. She was the epitome of womanhood because she was 18. <laughs> and to my 10-year-old mind, that was kind of like, <laughs> I couldn't believe I would ever get there. So a few years later, when I myself turned 18, I felt very superior to my 10-year-old self because I all of a sudden understood how young 18 really is. And all of the things that I thought I would be at 18, I wasn't. I was leaving home for college. I was confused, I was a little bit scared, I was trying to figure out how to be an adult, and so all of the things that at 10 looked settled and wonderful and easy, I found out at 18 actually weren't. And then about 10 years after that, I realized 18 is really just the beginning, that as you go longer and you get out of school, it doesn't get any easier, it gets actually a little bit more complicated. All through my growing up, I have been amazed at what I call the elasticity of time. It's stretchiness, how when you're little, it feels so long, and how when you're a little bit older, it feels so fast, but how even one day can feel so long, and yet you look at a year, and it's gone, it's flown. And that quality of time, the way it's stretchy, is such a fundamental part of our human experience that we can't imagine our lives apart from it. One of the great mysteries of our faith is that time itself has a hard stop. For us personally, our own hard stop is our own death. But for all of time, the hard stop is when Jesus comes back. And that's why it's worth spending a little bit of time on it this morning. Now, all three of our major passages today, the one from Isaiah, the one from Matthew, and the one from Romans, they are all in one way or another about the return of Christ. And that's deliberate because we've entered into the season of Advent, as you've already heard from um, the comments that Father Daniel made earlier. And you may have noticed we all switched to purple. And that's not because we were tired of green. <laughs> that's because purple is a sign of a penitential season. It's a sign that uh, this season is more reflective and we're thinking about something deep together. 
And every song that Chris picked for us today is about longing, because the main feeling of Advent is one of longing for all that is incomplete. Most of the church calendar remembers and celebrates the past and the present, Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross and what that means for us now. This season of the church calendar celebrates the present and the future. What is the hope we are looking towards? So Advent is, in essence, focused on the singular event that will end the flow of time once for all, Jesus' return. Now, one of the reasons that the passages about the return of Christ can be hard to understand is because there are several overlapping time periods, and it isn't always clear whether the passages are referring to the near future or the far future. And this is especially true in the Old Testament. So I'd like for you to think just for a moment of mountain ranges. You're fortunate here to have ones very near in North Carolina. And from a distance, if you're driving through mountains, they, um, they all kind of look compacted together and dark, and, and you just basically see one long ridge. But if you get up close to them, you begin to see that there are waves of mountains, that they're not actually one ridge, they're two or three ridges, and that there's gaps between them. And each ridge has its own shape and its own material and its own set of characteristics. Time, from the perspective of scripture, is like that. When we're in the Old Testament and we're looking forward, we may be looking at the near mountain ridge or we may be looking at the farther mountain ridge. Now, if you like the fancy terms, because I know some of you do, that's called prophetic telescoping. But if, that, if the fancy terms aren't what make you happy, you can just think of them about ridges of time going out into the future. So I'd like to work with the analogy from my own life that I started with. And from that perspective, our Isaiah 2 passage today is like the 10-year-old vantage point. He, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is looking towards the distant future. He's looking uh, metaphorically towards the age of 18 and towards what comes after that. And what he sees is true. He just doesn't really understand it the way at 10, I couldn't possibly understand what it was like for my camp counselor at 18. Now the gospels, including the gospel of Matthew, would be in this analogy in that 18-year-old time period. That's when Jesus' ministry brought salvation to maturity. His death and his resurrection made atonement for our sin and opened the way for us to be permanently reconciled to God. Jesus' earthly ministry also literally changed the flow of time. Up until then, time as recorded in scripture had always been moving towards the coming of the Messiah and the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. After Jesus died and was raised again and was ascended, all of time shifts towards moving towards looking at the return. And our, our Western calendar, which used to be AD, for those of us who remember that, and now is CE, we started dating thing, things from the time of Christ towards, towards what? For Christians, it's towards the return. So the era of the church that we live in is time flowing out from the cross until his return. And the Romans passage we read today is one of many in the New Testament about how we live in that time. Basically, how do we grow into adulthood in our faith until Jesus comes back? Now, I do just want to pause and say, if you're new to this whole story and you're wondering, where is Jesus and where is he coming back from? That's actually a very good question. Um, the story in Acts 1 tells us that after Jesus had finished his earthly ministry, he went up into heaven with, with all the disciples looking. <laughs> where are you going? We didn't expect that. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father 
for a period of time. In the Hebrew world, what sitting down means is he had finished what he came to do. Now, in that time, we know what Jesus is doing because Hebrews tells us he's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's praying for the world. And he will continue to do that until he chooses to come back. Now, I know that these thoughts, any thoughts about time and the end of time are actually very deep thoughts. And so that's why the church calendar gives us a whole season every year to reflect on them. It is too much to try and think about all of that in one Sunday. So today, I really just want to take a little piece of that big overview and take courage from the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew reading. Because that reading, of which we only read a part, it was actually part of a, a larger dialogue where the disciples had heard Jesus talking about the end of the age. And they came to him and said, hey, can we ask some questions about this? And the context of Matthew says deliberately, they went to him privately, which means they were a little bit confused too. So we can take courage and we don't have to pretend that we understand everything. And it's okay to see what Jesus said to them. So the first thing that Jesus did was he set expectations for them. They were understanding the end of the world as imminent, as about to happen, because they had read all of the Old Testament prophecies that said when the Messiah came, he would end oppression, he would end injustice, he would set right everything that was wrong. And we actually believe that too. The difference is that we have understood there are a couple more mountain ridges of time in between the different prophetic fulfillments so Jesus begins by saying to them, you're going to see lots of things happening. You're going to see war. You're going to see disease. That's not the end. The end is not yet. It's going to take a little bit longer. And then he gives a lot of details that I'm not going to go into today. I, um, I feel like in the particular week we're in, we're just going to hit four highlights that are for us. The first highlight from Matthew's gospel that I want us to focus on is that the prophecy of Daniel 7 will be fulfilled. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute, <laughs> Daniel 7, where did that come from? Everything Jesus is talking about in Matthew is actually a reference to Daniel 7. So this prophecy is so important for all of Advent, and we don't actually read it this year in a different week in Advent, so I'm just going to read you a couple verses so you know what I'm talking about. So in Daniel 7, Daniel had a vision and he references one called the Son of Man. And Jesus and his ministry, that was his favorite way to refer to himself. He referred to himself as the Son of Man, meaning he was the fulfillment of this. So as you listen to this passage, think about Jesus, because Jesus took this passage for himself. So this is Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from him. A thousand thousands served before him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one 
that should not be destroyed. So when the disciples came to Jesus in Matthew, and Jesus starts talking about what will happen and what the Son of Man will do, he is invoking that vision, and he's saying, I am who you think I am. I am the Messiah. He is also saying the how and the timing are the part, um, the part that's longer than what the disciples expect. But the essence of their expectation that Jesus will do all this is true. The second thing I want to pull from the Matthew passage is that Jesus tells us that all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming. And that, for us, may be a little bit counterintuitive. I think of Jesus' return as a time of joy and a time of excitement and a time when, finally, everything wrong is going to be set right. But mourning is inevitable because suddenly many, many groups of people will see that what they thought was true and what they thought reality was was actually not true or not the true nature of, of reality. They chose to worship something other than Christ. And as a result, they've ended up separated, which is a pretty frightening thing if you see this person descending in glory and great power, as the passage tells us. All of our choices have consequences. And Jesus' return highlights in stark relief the choices that we've made and whether they are aligned with God's truth. And that leads us to the third point I want to highlight. Jesus tells his disciples, in light of these first two points, in light of the fact that he is the Messiah, he will come back, there will be mourning when he comes back, learn to see how Jesus is at work in the world. Now, Jesus uses a fig tree example. I personally don't know anything about fig trees. I've seen one, but I really, I don't know fig trees. But I do know dogwoods. In Pennsylvania, where I moved here from, dogwood, dogwoods are a very important tree. And they're very important because they're one of the first trees that bloom in spring. So when you've had a very hard winter and you start seeing the small buds form on a dogwood tree, you know there's hope. And in the month of February and March, you watch those buds go from little to bigger and bigger and bigger and then begin to open. And what they say is, winter is not forever. Winter is something that can be endured, and it will end. And therefore, a dogwood tree is a harbinger of hope. Now, Jesus is saying that exact same thing, just using a tree that his people would know. He's saying, you can learn to look at the signs of a plant and know that one season is ending and another season is beginning. For us, it's look and see what Jesus is doing. Look and see where he's healing. Look and see where he's fixing. Look and see where he is correcting injustice. Those are all harbingers of his return. And that leads us to the last thing. Stay awake because you do not know at what hour your Lord is coming. We are to live as if Jesus' return mattered to us, impacted us, and those around us, because it does. So what does it look like and feel like when Jesus' inevitable return is real to us? I want you to just take a minute and think of someone that you love deeply that you haven't been able to see for a while. It may be someone deployed overseas. It may be someone who lives in another state. Think about the some of the times you were with them that were special. Even if you regularly talk on the phone, think about the difference between being with them on the phone and being with them in person. 
The recent years of COVID have given all of us some very practical examples of separation and what that feels like. And so now remember what it was like after COVID when we could physically be together again, physically start hugging people again. And that joy of the difference between knowing someone's out there and being with them. On one hand, Jesus's return is just like that. Those of us who have committed our lives to him, we already speak with him. We already have a sense of his movement in the world. We already have ordered our lives in response to that relationship. And yet, how much better will it be when we can physically hug him or when he will literally wipe the tears away from our eyes because Revelation tells us that. So the physical presence, on the one hand, is what Jesus' return means. But on the other hand, there's an additional important piece to Jesus' second coming that's not present at the first, and that is the judgment of the world. And I know that um, if you were listening to the prayers and you were listening to some of the songs, that's where we all start to get a little bit, of ner- a little bit nervous, right? So I'm going to leave that for someone else to preach on. <laughs> actually, I would love to preach on the judgment of God. Um, it's actually a great mercy. But I can't say much about it today because we'd be here for forever. But what the judgment of the world does is end the reign of evil it also sets right everything that has been wrong. There are certain things we want to have judged. I want injustice to be judged. I want oppression to be judged. Misunderstanding, broken relationships, violence, mass shootings, they all end with the return of Christ. So no wonder the songs and readings of Advent are full of longing. Who wouldn't want that? But Matthew is very clear that there are gonna be two reactions. There are going to be those who want it and live into it, who have chosen Jesus in this life and are so excited. And there will be those who have made other choices who will lose their authority and lose the power that they have had in this present disordered world. Now, I recognize that maybe some of you have never even thought about what Christ's return means for you. And if that's true for you, then Advent is your season. Even if you have thought about the return of Christ, I would like to strongly encourage all of us in this next week to go back and read Daniel 7 again. It's um, Daniel 7, and you'll you'll see the verses because they're set apart as poetry. Ask Jesus to show you, to show each of us this Advent something new about what his return means for our lives right now. And an easy way to do this if you're kind of overwhelmed with where to start is to just take a piece of paper and write at the top of it the prayer, Jesus, what does your return mean for my life? And then pay attention. Pay attention to phrases that might draw your attention in scripture. Pay attention to conversations where someone might say something that you think, oh, that's good, I should write that down. The Lord may also surprise you and give you a dream, just as he did for Daniel. The point is, you want to watch for it And when you receive something in response to your question, write it down so you remember it. And then if you're in a community group or even just uh, an encouraging relationship, you may want to share it because that's how we encourage each other in the Lord. Because Jesus' return is for the whole world and it is for each of us. What I'd like to do in closing is just to tell you some thoughts I've had about Jesus' return and what it means for me. And this is my list, it won't be your list. Um, But since I've had a little time to think about it, I thought it might be a good jumping off point 
I'm going to share it quickly. I'm not expecting you to write it down or remember it. But this is some things about the way that the awareness of the reality of Jesus' coming back shapes my life now. The reality of Jesus' coming back gives me urgency for people who don't know Jesus. The stakes are real, and time is not unlimited. An awareness of Jesus' return gives me hope in the face of suffering and injustice. Yes, I work for change now. We work for change now. But if you have ever worked for change in any area of injustice, you know that the issues are so big and the situation so complex that all of our best efforts bring partial relief. And so the return, knowing that there's a time when the partial finishes and the whole comes, gives me immense hope. And that gives me patience. I know that evil does not last forever. And I know that it doesn't get the last word. The Lord has promised to set all things right. I also get guidance about which controversies to enter into and which aren't mine. Sometimes the Lord does ask us to take something on. And sometimes he very clearly says, don't take that on. That's not yours. An awareness of Jesus' return also orders my priorities. What the Lord values and what the unbelieving world values are not only different, they are incompatible. I have made choices about where I live, about how I make money, how I spend my money, how I order my relationships. Almost all of those have been chosen with priorities set in light of the reality of God and what God prefers. And part of that is instruction about how to use my time. Because that stretchiness, it's so very precious. An awareness of Jesus' return gives me reassurance that the sacrifices I made in following Jesus were not pointless or valueless. And that gives me courage to keep making them. And it gives me comfort about the losses experienced along the way. Because if you walk with the Lord, you do have losses, and they're real. And that's why Jesus is going to be wiping the tears away. I also deepen in my worship as I long for Christ's appearing. The more real Jesus is to you now, the more you will long for his return. And finally, freedom from the fear of my own death. Whether I go to Jesus or whether he comes back to me, I know that I am loved and I know that I am received. And as a result of that, I could be less afraid I want to close in prayer. I'm going to close by praying the prayer of the collect of the day from our bulletin. I'm going to have to borrow a bulletin because I forgot to bring mine. (laughs) Thank you. Um, This is towards the beginning. It's under the collect of the day. Pay attention to the collects of the day during Advent. They're wonderful ways to pray into all of these things. Let's pray. Almighty God, Give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility. That in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.